morning. Okay. We need a little more help than that. 2020 has been quite a year, and it's not over. It's still coming. Uh, we just crossed over the halfway mark. Halftime's over. We're in the third quarter. Um, and 2020 has been difficult. The weather part of it, the pandemic, the tornado, the just on and on and on. People's uh, livelihood and jobs and businesses and uh, friendships and just everything about 2020 has been so difficult. Our staff, I am so proud of our staff. Our staff uh, has done a fantastic job of trying to connect and try to keep our church continuous in the opportunities of ministry. From age groups, life groups, to our worship team, to our media team, all the things that we had to do during the, we weren't meeting in here and we were online time and just all this stuff. Our staff has done a fantastic job. We, we really do love each other. Our staff loves each other. We, we kid around a lot, but we, we love each other. We love being together. Our leadership, our elders, we love to be together. And our prayer is that we can keep continuity of relationships and ministry opportunities together. That's our prayer during this crazy time that we live. Um, it's so hard to meet new people. Everybody looks the same. Different color mask. <laughs> Different color hair is about it. But uh, we're thankful for many of you. I know I met some today that are here for the first time. Thank you for, uh, for coming and visiting with us. For those of you online, thank you for joining us as well. Um, we still have 150, 200 people that are online and part of our fellowship here for sure. We also have a second campus at Two Rivers. We're excited about what's happening on both of our campuses, both of our staffs, and uh, what God continues to do in our communities. I got to say that this, this message today, God has beat me to death. If I'm transparent, there's parts and nuances of this message that just wore me out. What Scripture says. And we oftentimes jump over it. We miss it. We're looking for the loophole. <laughs> We're looking a way around it. Maybe we didn't understand it, you know, on and on and on. But this message today wore me out, if I'm transparent. If you're with a Bible or um, iPad or iPhone or wh whatever you have that has God's Word on it, if you would turn with me to James chapter 2, we're continuing our series in James. We've been through book uh, chapter 1. We've been through trials and temptations. We still have things to come of humbleness, proud, uh, wisdom of God. Do we seek the wisdom? There, there's a lot coming in James. But he jumps right out of the gate in James 2. He doesn't beat around the bush. James writes to a group of people that probably 
were people who were more cultural than they were faithful followers of Jesus. And he is trying to help correct, bump them back up on the road. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Um, if you'll hold that thought just a minute. Our, our childhood, now many of you, as we think back, we're thinking further back than others. Our childhood was many times the most exciting part on the playground. The playground recess was the most exciting part of our day. That brought a great game called kickball. Kickball. Kickball was a game that we played on the basketball courts so the people couldn't play basketball. We played kickball, and kickball always won because we got there first. There were two captains in kickball that would pick teams of people that wanted to play gathered around the free throw line, and we'd flip a coin. In my memory, I never won a coin toss ever in my life. The opponent would always pick first, and he would always pick Wendy. Wendy. Wendy could kick the ball off the pavement. If you've ever been to Donaldson Elementary, that's not that anymore, but it's up on the hill on Stewart's Ferry Pike. There's a big asphalt area, and she could kick the ball off the pavement. She was always the first pick, and so I never got to pick her. She was always on the opposition team. And we'd play kickball. There were three people to pick from. Those that were good at the game. Those that were bad at the game. And those you wanted on your team more than the people who were bad at the game. And then at the end, there would be several standing all the way down to the last person picked. A social experiment at a very early age. Those moments became where we picked our favorites. The outward appearance became what we were looking at. Not what kind of person they were. Can they play kickball? Visually appealing. Perceive maybe the best. For sure, Wendy. But it became insult and unfair bias for most. What a struggle it was for many. I got another question. Who should lead the New Testament church today? Big C, little C discussion is irrelevant. But who should lead? Like, let's talk about a local church. Who should lead a local church? Is it the religious? Or are they just religious and do rituals but have no faith? Is it servants or do they just give their time and talents and not their finances? Or would it be the people who give the most? Would it be the gifted? Or do they lean on their talents and gifts more than they do their spiritual gifts? 
Because those don't always line up. Is it the popular? A popular vote. The dog and pony show. The cheerleader. Playing a sport. President of a CEO of a company. Maybe the owner of the company. On and on and on. Whatever the perceived leader would be. Because God did not always work that way. He did some. But God works on the heart. And that's what we're going to touch on today. The humbleness of spirit. We work on our heart. God has no favorites. God has no favorites. Do I really love everyone? Let's stand together and read from James 1 or James 2, 1 through 13. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, Stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you already made dis distinctions among yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, don't, didn't God choose the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom? And he promised to those who love him yet you've dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Verse 12. Speak and act to those, as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Father, may we today understand the simplicity and the complexity of favoritism. May your words jump off these pages and into our life, into our hearts and minds. In your name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Number one, point number one, there are no favorites in God's kingdom. There are no favorites. 
Verse 1 jumps off pretty simply, not confusing, not to be misunderstood. Maybe there's a way around this. <laughs> Maybe there's a loophole. No, he comes right out off the top rope and says there's no favoritism. Do not show favoritism. Outward appearance, status, job, car, hair, height, family, on and on. We can go on and on and on. All the things that are a part of an outward appearance, things that you observe, see, perceive, whatever it is. We're unintentionally valuing something Diedrich Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. Scott and I were studying this last week, talking about what an awesome, awesome author Diedrich Bonhoeffer is. And this Wednesday night, the students were talking about cheap grace. The definition of cheap grace can be simply put, you talk about your discipleship, but you don't walk it. That's cheap grace. Those who strive to know and have a holy huddle and want to know more and do nothing with what they learn. Cheap grace. I believe that part of what James is trying to say to his readers is that when we show favoritism, we consciously or unconsciously, because it could be either, we're keeping people from experiencing God's goodness, His grace, His love. His mercy, His forgiveness. We're keeping people from understanding what that is. If we peek and choose, pick and choose who gets to experience our attention and our love, we are in direct opposition to the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. Because if we're picking and choosing and we're deciding who experiences that faith and love, the unconditional part of grace that we should be extending to others because of Christ in us. We're not for Him, we're against Him. James brings up several things related to our favoritism. Are we experiencing that ourselves? Do we experience what that means to us in our life on a daily basis? It depends on what you think about in the morning and what you think about when you go to bed at night. The opportunities that come your way and you don't seize them because you don't notice them. True value in the kingdom of God has nothing to do with bank accounts, gold rings, or fancy clothes. Sometimes our outer shell is hiding something on the inside. Either we're ashamed of or we're struggling with or we don't want to be transparent with. That's why relationships are so important in our church. Our small groups, our life groups are such a vital part about building relationships because that's where you can, you can have the transparency discussion. It's not just the appointment to make, it's something that begins to happen because of the relationship you have with these people or with a person. 
the poor are rich in God's economy. Money is not bad. So let, let me be clear. Money is not bad. The love of money is bad. When you think you can get out of any situation and just write in your checkbook and resolve something, then you're misunderstanding the gospel. Because you're not reliant on the Holy Spirit, you're reliant on yourself. When you choose Jesus, you surrender to yourself. You die to yourself. You don't exist anymore. It's Christ through you. How far does this go beyond our financial status? That's just one area of many. What about our skin color? What about our skin color? What about political affiliation? What about philosophies, methodologies, geographical locations, perceived reputations? And the perceived reputations can go on any of these other ones. Where we're, we're more concerned about what you think than what's really happening. It's social media's worst nightmare for you and me. The perception of it is more important than what's actually happening. That becomes the danger. That we're more concerned about that. I'm sorry if I'm stepping on your toes, but this is where I've, I've been beat up really bad. <laughs> my, my sarcasm uh, sometimes trumps over stuff and trips over it. And... Uh, it's the ace of spades that gets thrown on the table. It's sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Are we able to climb out of that because of the relationship you have with the one true God? The eye test can deceive us over and over again. Don't ignore or overlook those that need to experience the fullness of Jesus or His love for all people. Do I love everyone? If Jesus loves everyone, why don't I love everyone? We live in sin. And He describes this very thing as sin. You have sinned when you have favoritism. That we overlook someone because of whatever may be our our eye test and we withhold the very thing christ is trying to get to them now the other side of this conversation is equally as dangerous point number two guard your heart against reverse favoritism reverse favoritism I'm the favorite. I want you to show me attention, honor, concern. Where I want you to recognize me in that process. That's reverse favoritism. 
When that happens, you successfully made yourself the center of your worship. What a dangerous place to be. And you're wanting other people to be in that same place. Or maybe it's there is a God, you admit, but I'm pretty hacked off that I'm not God. God's in control and you're not. This is about God, not about you. And when you turn that around the other way, it's the reverse of it. That becomes the sin in our life that begins to tint other things that we do. Other things that we say. If you don't believe what I believe, then I'm against you. And you're wrong. Reverse favoritism. The stance that you cannot agree with me puts you in a place and it, 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 it's, a, it's a lonely place. You're dead to me. If you are the litmus test of who gets to be favorite, who gets attention, then James says that you've made yourself a judge that leads to evil thoughts. You don't have the heart of Jesus that you think you do. Or I think I have. Point number three. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself in verse eight. We cannot fake this. You can't manufacture the kind of love that James is talking about to give to your neighbor, to visit that part of who you are can be dangerous and troubling. Because sometimes we think we can manufacture it. And whenever it's needed the most, usually is when the inferiority complex comes up in us and that defense mechanism kicks in and that's when we depend on the Holy Spirit to take over. And instead, we think we can deal with that. We think we're in control. And we are not in control. God reveals himself through scripture. I believe that with all my heart. Why do we not read it more? Why don't we learn more about what God is trying to teach us individually. Why do we not look in Scripture more? We're usually, we're usually looking for cliff notes. That's, that's me. <laughs> yeah, I know this whole chapter has to do with... I, I, like, give it to me in a... I need a, like a little paragraph. No, that's not, that's not how God works. One thing in your heart begins to change and it starts affecting everything else in your life. We only believe as much of the Bible as we practice. A lot of people study the Bible. They know the Bible. They memorize the Bible. They work in the Bible. They do nothing with the Bible. And I say... You're only going to practice as much as you believe about the Bible. 
the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself. And royal law means, explain, it's the law that rules all other laws. All the other laws is ruled by this law. Love your neighbor as yourself. It may be in your translation as king's law. But the royal law is the law that rules over all the rest of them. Everything we do should point to Christ. The best defense of the Bible's authority in your life should be how you live. That should be the best defense of Scripture in you, in me. Are we able to exemplify what we learn by how we walk and how we talk and how we, how we deal with people? Is that an opportunity for you to shine or to go hide? That you would walk in such integrity that people look at you and go, what does that person know that I don't know? How does that person know to do that? Or maybe even the question may be more important. Who does that person know that I don't know? Or do you try in your self-control and strength of yourself, maybe even those inferior feelings, and you begin to lock up because you can't grab the wisdom of God that's in you to show grace when it's needed the most in the worst possible times because that's when Christ wants to show D.L. Moody famous pastor and author said one of my favorite statements I've got it written in the front of my Bible if it's not in the front of yours it needs to be every Bible should be bound in shoe leather Every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. This is not here to just know. It's here to know and memorize and meditate on and do. The whole book of James is about don't be a hearer only, be a doer. It starts to jump off the page right here on favoritism. Or it has for me because of this very thing right here. Every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. John wrote about it in the fourth chapter of John, in the Gospel of John. John writes to his people a story about a Samaritan woman. When he walked up to the well and he begins to talk to the Samaritan woman offering her eternal life never to thirst again. He broke every barrier around. There were so many things that he should not be doing when this happened. He should not have done that by the view of the people. Cultural, gender, race, status, spiritual. How did he break the norm of favoritism there? Cultural barriers dictate behavior. Did his behavior represent 
the God of the universe and grace or represent cheap grace because that he was talking about grace giving giving love unconditional love and he represented that well gender doesn't have anything to do with the value of a person ethnic or races all races embraced there's one race the human race and he embraced, not shunned. The eternity that he talked about of you'll never thirst again is offered to all people. It's not for one person. It's not for the select. It's not, it's for all people. How are you doing showing God's love to all people? I saw a social media post last week. I wrote this in the front of my Bible too. <laughs> it hit me right between the eyes. Love difficult people. You're one of them. <laughs> Bob Goff. If you read, if you read Bob Goff, you know uh, Bob. Love difficult people. You're one of them. Partial obedience is complete disobedience. In the economy of God, in the distribution of love and grace, it's to all people. And if we're choosing, we're picking, we're directing more to one than another, we're in complete disobedience to Scripture. That's why James put in verse 8, Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in Scripture, your love, the you love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. You're doing well. Don't break the law of favoritism. Breaking the law of favoritism hurts the kingdom of God. Breaking that law affects our church. It affects every church. And whatever constitutes the favoritism, because it comes out in so many different ways, and I mentioned at the beginning of this message, the nuances that come with that. And I believe the Holy Spirit is pr pricking the heart of everyone in this room and online. The opportunity to show favoritism sometimes is missed because we're not paying attention. We're focused on ourselves. We miss it. Maybe those opportunities are coming back to your mind now. Don't be a part of what Satan does to try to destroy our world. As our band's coming up, I want you to... Uh, to think about something. How are we doing? How are we doing with loving everyone? Are we loving everyone the way Jesus did? This is not going to happen with the snap of your finger. It's not going to happen instantaneous. It's going to be something that we learn to grow and build ourselves to. 
to edify that very thing that we are trying to become. It's about your relationship with Jesus. I want to mention three things. Number one, develop your love for Jesus. Develop it. What does that mean? If, if, if God is revealing Himself through Scripture to us, read it. Know what's in it. It's the owner, owner's manual of our life. We need to know what's in it. Develop that relationship with Jesus as He reveals Himself to you. Number two, ask Jesus to put someone in your path this week. Not just put, it, put, it, put someone in your path, but to seize the opportunity because you noticed it. If you're praying about it, it's going to right in front of you. And it's going to be work. When that happens, you roll your sleeves up and get involved. Number, number three, practice unconditional love. Practice makes permanent. All the time. The more we do it, the better we are at it. Practice unconditional love. Maybe you're here today and you don't even know what we're talking about. Maybe this Christ you don't know. Maybe the love of Christ is such a foreign language to you, you don't understand what we're talking about. Whatever that is, we want to be a part of helping you. Finding Jesus relevant in your life. That's what we want to be a part of. Prayer at the fellowship.cc Prayer at the fellowship.cc is a web, or a, an email address that you can get on your email. You send us an email and our staff, our elders, we all pray for those. It's kind of our non-contact way of uh, the crosses. Prayer at the fellowship.cc That's also a great place to have prayer requests, a great place to ask questions, a great place to connect. Maybe you're at home today. You never thought about all the things that happen around favoritism. All the nuances of things that happen. And you want to talk to someone, prayer at the fellowship. That's the best way to connect. My prayer for us today is that the Holy Spirit can work through you and to you, to someone else. That The Holy Spirit carries the message through you of the gospel with power. Maybe confusion on their part, but not on your part. Because you know where it's coming from. Let's pray together. Father, we yield to you today. We yield ourselves, our hearts, our minds, our emotions, our spiritual presence. We yield to you today. Show us what we need to work on. Show us the way. We're desperate for you today. Lord, you yearn that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.